This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. It's one of the big moments in this show every single week when we bring this guy in for a conversation. Everybody is sitting with rapt attention, waiting to hear what he's got to say, waiting to express an opinion and to make them feel good about what's happening out here in Seattle. By God, it happens right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook <laughs> Hotline. He is our NHL and MLB analyst, the one, the only John Morosi is with us. How are you, man? Outstanding, gentlemen. Uh, certainly uh, a lot has changed since we last spoke. We have actual major league spring training games to examine and discuss in terms of the new pitch clock. And it looks like Jared Kelnick is off to a great start. Well, in in light of that, I wanted to ask you, we, you know, we are sitting here talking about what's going on out there and what he's done, what Julio's done. And, and I felt like I was telling Dave, I feel like every time I highlight something good or bad, I've got to qualify it. Well, it's spring. It's spring. You got to take it for what it's worth. It's just spring. But is is there anything in spring that you see that you don't discount as just spring, that you do put more value on? I do, and I think what's happening with Kelnick fits into that category that, yes. that I'm willing to to believe a little bit. And I think that – so here's what I always say about spring training numbers and where the aggregate numbers can mislead you. If you've got a, a young double-A player who's coming in in the – sixth inning of every game and doing tremendous damage against the high a class, you know, class a pitchers or double a pitchers in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, the numbers will look great, but you have to consider who is he doing it against? Mm -hmm. I think in the case of Kelnick, he's getting a lot of at bats. Uh, I think he leads the team in at bats right now. So he's, he's getting a lot of action. He's, he's seeing a lot of pitches and, and obviously a two homer game was a tremendous demonstration of what, he can do and and i think that a couple things i noticed number one he looks to me to be more balanced and quieter at the plate the other part is and and harold reynolds made this point this morning on mlb network and we were talking about craig kimbrell in a very different different pitcher so you've got a veteran pitcher versus a a young hitter but the point that harold made about kimbrell as we were talking about craig's early success was Harold said, I think that for him, just getting the ball and going and staying in rhythm will work to his benefit. I think the same is true for Kelnick. I think that the less time he spends thinking and analyzing and reflecting in between pitches, the better he's going to play. When he just lets his natural talent take over, you've seen it. He basically hit two carbon copy shots to center and right center um, that really he just handled well. Uh, it, it did not look like he had to stress or strain to hit the ball out of the ballpark. He just put together a really good swing twice, and the ball went. And And if he just keeps that approach, and Scott Service talked about this, up the middle, left center field, those are the kind of adjustments that, for me, Endure. So I think this is the time of year where you have to go. Yeah, the numbers are helpful, but go with the eyeball test. Is he is he really quieter and more confident at the plate? And in the case of Kelnick right now, I truly believe the answer is yes. 
You know, JP, we were talking about him uh, when we first interviewed him, and this is before he started going through all the struggles. Uh, we had this great interview with him where I just I liked everything I heard, and you know, and I feel like he needs to get back to that guy. And you know, we were talking about what's going to happen when he has success because there's a lot of people that think maybe he's arrogant or cocky or whatever, but. I don't know what our experience was. He was having success at that point because he just got called up. It was his first call up. And uh, he was he was really good. I mean, he was very calm. He was just like a totally different person. And, you know, I think that that's that kind of has a, a lot to do with it because, you know, he's never never failed before. And so this right. is all all new to him. Right. Right. And I think we have to remember a bit about his his journey in the game. Uh, I, I go back to to the fact that he did not play high school varsity baseball in in his hometown of Waukesha, Wisconsin. He didn't didn't play because their season started in the summer or late spring because of the weather in Wisconsin. So he basically traveled from home and and curated with his dad Tom their own plan. He played a lot of high end travel ball, obviously. But he never had that that team around him in high school, um, and, and I think that th- the individuality of that process has at times worked brilliantly for Jared. That's what made him a first round pick. But I also think he didn't have that experience of of having that same core group of guys that you play freshman JV varsity. That nothing he had nothing like that, mm-hmm. and and then he gets traded early on in his time. I think that right now, in a in a really interesting way, might be the most settled that he's ever been. Mm-hmm. There was the drama, were they going to keep him on the opening day roster a few years back? That went really into a big-time story. And I think now he's he's been there, he's been in the major leagues, he's been in the playoffs, he's been the big prospect, he's struggled. There, there comes a time, and I really I, I love this time in a player's career, when they're really young, but they almost have some of that old guy wisdom about them. Like, man, I've already been through a lot, and I'm just not going to get psyched out by what's going on here. I'm just going to play. And I love in what Jared said in Daniel Kramer's story at MLB.com about how in the journal that he's keeping that Jared is is going to write from that day that I won every pitch. I won every pitch. And I love that because when, when as a baseball player, you have the ability to, to micro focus and just boil the game down to its essence and, and try to win the, the next pitch that's coming. And then once it goes by, win, lose, or draw, you're on to the next one. That, in my experience, and again, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not a major league player, nor am I a sports psychologist, but I've been around a lot of players for a lot of years. And, and the guys who I see have success and endure, have the best way to focus really intently on exactly what's in front of them, and then as soon as the moment passes, whether they succeed or fail, it's gone. And I think that Jared is finally arriving to that point. The physical tools have always been there. He has he has been, in my view, a Bryce Harper starter kit for a long time. That's what he's got. And I think as long as he just can find a way to really incrementally focus his attention and and yet do so with a, with an ease, which it seems to be he's doing right now, 
he's done a lot of work in California. I know during the off season, uh, as Daniel wrote, I, I think it, he's just in a really good place. And now, of course, it's March one, and the goal is to still be feeling this way on November one. Another guy that that has a lot of talent, JP, that we forget about because he's been hurt. He got sent down. Is Evan White? And I've watched mm-hmm. him a little bit in some of the games that have been on TV. And I was telling Dave that you know I love Ty France at first base. I think he's very good. But when you see Evan White there, it's just a different level. It is just, right. and it's hard almost to put into words how natural and easy and 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 fluid he is at first base. And he's he came up with a home run the other day, and you you start daydreaming about my goodness, what if this guy can hit? And then how do you how does the lineup shake out at that point? Does Ty France become your DH or what? What do you think? Just play the hypothetical there, and you're the manager, you're Scott Service, and Evan White all of a sudden is just he's healthy and he can hit at this level. How do you? How does that work for you in the way of the lineup? Right. No, it's a great question. I think one of the really important things that you can do with White at the moment is is you can option him down to the minor leagues. So he, he does have minor league options left, and that's really important because you look at the, the dynamics of the roster, and White, to your point, is a deluxe amazing first baseman he really is but but so he's got it. he's one of the very best really in the world i would say at, at his age and so you look around and so if if you're going to have france on the roster obviously you're going to he'll either be the dh of the first baseman in a strange way the guy this actually hinges a little bit uh on kelnick because if you have if you have aj pollock there and if and if Kelnick can really handle every righty in left field, and then if if you love Dylan Moore potentially getting some starts in in left against a tough lefty, depending on how else you want to use Dylan Moore, do you uh, do you spot him against uh, you know, at second base with, with Wong against a tough lefty, whatever it ends up being, uh, then you start to think about. Okay, well, where are Pollock's starts going to come? If Pollock is only going to be your platoon left fielder against, basically against tough lefties, and if and if you can have some redundancy where maybe Dylan Moore fills that spot or Haggerty as a switch hitter potentially fills that spot, then maybe you could argue, okay, let's let's get Evan White into the into the mix a third of the time. 40% of the time and and then and then swing France into a DH spot. I, I it's certainly it's it's a really helpful thing and the Mariners at different times can can carry an additional bat at, at different times depending on how their their rotation sets up. I think one of the one of the other pieces of this equation is if they're getting enough length from their starting pitchers then maybe you don't need to cover and and carry all six of Castillo, Gilbert, Ray, Kirby, Marco, and Flexen, uh, or depending on how many innings Festa can give you. So the, Trevor Gott has some starting in his background to where he might be able to give you more length. So I, I think that, to your point, I, I would say that just because Evan White has options, he is probably on the outside looking in, meaning that he, he can be sent to the minor leagues without using waivers. But if he keeps playing well and if he can hit for some power, and if and if enough of these other questions get answered about how you use Listella, Moore, Haggerty, um, how you use Pollock, I, I could see a path for him because, to your point, it's special defense, and and you you want to have as many game changing players, and and if if you want to argue as we get closer that maybe 
White could give you more value than Listella, depending on how the rest of your club looks. If Listella's going to largely play second base, he bats left-handed, so does Colton Wong. What's his role? So I, I think that White's making a good case for himself, which is all you can do here on the 1st of March. The, the other thing in, in connection with him that I always found interesting is they've talked about what a brilliant athlete Evan is in that they, you know, there's the potential to put him in the outfield, which I, I get it as an athlete. Sure, that makes sense. But we're talking about a guy who's had a number of injuries, lower body injuries, hip injury. That seemed counterintuitive to me for a guy who's had those injuries as frequently as he has, you know, to, to ask, ask him to do something that's more taxing on that part of his body rather than playing first base. Does that, does that seem a little odd to you? Right. No, I, I agree. I think that for him, just getting back on the field and, and having a successful start to the year is, is the key thing. And, and if, if we're being honest, probably the best way for him to do that for a guy that hasn't played a lot at the major league level, especially because of all the injuries, is is to just probably start at AAA, get a good amount of at bats underneath you, and then and then what that also does is it allows it allows Kelnick to not be looking over his shoulder saying, wait a minute, I, I have to make sure I do this and that because now I don't have Pollock there or now Pollock has a different role. I think that this team is best if if Kalnick gets off to a good start at the major league level and and potentially if if White gets off to a good start at the minor league level with a lot of at bats and then if he's if we're at, at late April early May and if he's really hitting the ball well then maybe you think about making an adjustment I mean they but the point that you're making I think is a very sound one with Pollock Moore Haggerty Listella there might be a little bit of redundancy there, and I think that uh, it's probably up to Scott Service and his staff just to see how how much flexibility they truly have. Now, the good news, I think, big picture here in terms of at-bats is pretty soon, as in next week, you'll have Julio leaving for the WBC along with Teoscar and Suarez, and so that will open up a lot of at-bats to where – who knows if the the opportunity is there? If somebody really wants to make a huge statement, uh, there's going to be enough at bats there for them to do so. All right, JP, we haven't asked you about this yet. Um, the fact that I'm going to get robbed of 81 hours of baseball, <laughs> three and a third days basically, because of the games going from three hours to two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Cheated. He's cheated. Uh, you're being serious with me right now? Yes, I am. <laughs> you you really are. Yes. No, I, I I am not that so uh, well sort of. Uh, I'm <laughs> to me somebody wrote in that and I thought, "Oh, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it." I know it's better for the players and and all that, but I don't know, to, to me it just seemed a little bit hurried. I like I think it's a relaxed game. I was okay with the pace. Now, I thought it was obnoxious, the guys that would step out and undo their gloves and all that. And I guess that's what you had to do in order to. But I don't know. At first, it kind of it kind of rubbed me the wrong way until I heard Julio say, well, we're going to be able to get on plane rides quicker when we got a getaway day, things like that. But, yeah, I just overall in the beginning, my, my first impression was it was going too fast. Hmm. That's... That is certainly that is that is certainly your your prerogative. I would say that John sound a little befuddled. Like I, I am sure a little befuddled uh, as as I as I say as I uh, uh, ask the chair for permission to address the floor. I, I respectfully disagree with with the gentleman from the great state of Washington on this point. Uh, no, I I think that what we're losing is is the empty space. 
we're losing we're losing air. We're hmm. losing just a little bit of cushion around the good parts of of the game. Uh, so the, the good parts are all still there. We just have to wait less time to get the good parts. And I still think there is a pause. There is still going to be 15 to 20 seconds. There is still the inning break, which we don't have. There's no sort of similar break in, in pro football or pro basketball or, or hockey that, that just gives us that natural time to sort of stand up, get up, go get, get a refreshment, whatever it is. I, I think that we are all going to, in time, love this. The players will adjust. And I think, importantly, the players will, to Julio's point, they'll be in better shape at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. They will, they'll put forward a better product at the end. And I, I think that there are a lot of people in the game, uh, pitchers and hitters both, and the managers, everybody, who have, who have really grinded the tempo and the rhythm of the sport far slower than it needs to be because we've been overthinking all of this. Mm. Let's just play. And when I can tell you, and this sort of fits in a bit of my affinity for the World Baseball Classic, which, as we've talked about, starts next week, the, the, when, you, when you travel the world and, and you go to countries that have been a little bit less impacted by the statistical revolution slash paralysis that exists in the game, when you watch a game in Japan, in Puerto Rico, in Mexico, it just it moves a little differently. It just it it has a rhythm to it, like it used to in the U.S. And now we're getting back to it. I think there, I think the Mariners played a game in the last several days that had 17 combined runs and and barely lasted three hours. That's just that that never would have happened. That would have been a four hour game, and and you would have had people at the end of it saying. Baseball is boring. It moves too slowly. But at three hours, it's unless if it's 230, 240, it's a great product. At the end of the day, you want your products to have a certain excitement to them, excitement per minute spent. And we are in a time where we've all been there when that when you're looking at your cell phone and that darn pinwheels going around and it's taking an extra three seconds to load a page and you're all, oh, my gosh, it's taking so long, <laughs> right? And so th- this is kind of where we're at as a society. It's, oh, my gosh, it's taking so long. It's taking all of three seconds for this thing that, you know, our ancestors would have been totally, just, what? You've got this thing in your hand that tells you anything you need to know in the world? Yeah. So I-, I-, I think that, you know, society has changed. We've changed. And, and yet, at the end of the day, I've, I've, never, I've never heard a-, a person walk out of a stadium and say, wow, I wish – I wish that would that game would have included more waiting. <laughs> well, I just sometimes I wish it I'm went just, longer. I'm just saying that that's I've yet to have that happen to me. JP, listen to me. Here's what now you're going to go forward and you're you're going to do interviews and you're going to say I've heard one guy <laughs> yeah. complain and I can be that guy. Never heard. Yeah, I, I love I wish it. We had more waiting. My, my one my one dear friend. Dave, who wants more? Oh. He wants more waiting in the oh, game. You know so what we good. want? Well, we need. It's just like a, if I tell my wife I'll, I'll do chores after the game, it comes sooner. Now you we've know? gotten to the I, crux of the problem here, yeah. John. But now, but see, here's the thing: now we all get more sleep. All of us, <laughs> yeah. like the the media, the the hey, the, our here's the thing: check in with your colleagues who produce and broadcast the morning radio program. 
and see, hey, you're going to get an extra half hour of sleep thanks to the Mariner game ending earlier, I would say that you're going to get a, a rousing yeah. ovation for that, for that news bulletin. Hey, John, let me ask you before we let you get out of here. We've got the uh, the NHL trade deadline coming up on Friday. So what, in your opinion, will the Kraken do? And more importantly, what do they need to do? So it's a great question. I, I think the Kraken have, I, when the outset of, of this season happened, I would have thought that they would have added one more defenseman. And sure enough, in the last couple of days, You've seen Philip Peronik uh, was traded by the Red Wings uh, to the Canucks. We saw Shane Gostisbehere Bear moved. Uh, Jacob Chikrin finally moved. Um, these are players I thought the Kraken would have been would have been involved in uh, trying to trying to move. Uh, I also would have potentially thought we would see by now maybe a, a, an extension or two by the Kraken. Now certainly we've got still about forty eight hours, less than forty eight hours to go before the deadline. So I, the Kraken have been one of the quieter teams. And, and if, if I were, if I were sitting next to Ron Francis right now, uh, I, I would say that you might want to get one more depth forward to help round out the roster, but that I would, I would really look for a, a top end defenseman. And I think they have, uh, but I'm a little surprised that we have not seen the Kraken land someone of a uh, Philip Peronik or, or, Chikrin or Gostaspare, those guys have been sort of the, the main names for a while. I thought Hironic could have been someone that they talked about, but then, of course, the, the Canucks stepped up and traded a conditional first-round pick to the Wings, and, and, and there, there they went today. So um, quiet, but they've played better than expected, and it wouldn't surprise me if they find a way to just get a little bit more experience, uh, either up front or on the back end, uh, before, uh, before the deadline there on Friday. Two brilliant moments for you today, John, just being absolutely befuddled by Dave's position with the, with the pitch clock. And then you saying, I don't think I've ever left a stadium and heard somebody saying, yeah, I wish, <laughs> I wish we had more waiting. <laughs> <laughs> we might, this, you know what we, if Mike is here right now. I'm sure Mike uh, is, is feverishly punching in the time codes of, of a couple of those uh, moments because I, I have a sneaking suspicion we might be hearing those on, on some drops oh, in the future. Very good. <laughs> I'm going to turn on MLB and and JP's going to be like, yeah, there's some clown. No, 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 no. Out in Seattle. We're, we're going we're gonna to have you on the show. I mean, uh, there was, speaking, I'll, I'll leave you with this. There was a uh, a side-by-side that Matt Vaskersian did on the network in the last couple of days where there was an entire inning. Oh, yep. Yep. That was played in the time it took the Fox broadcast to come back from commercial break and Pedro Baez to throw his first pitch wow. of an inning was, in the NLCS. Because he, he, he threw over, step off, reset, throw over again. Yeah, that's obnoxious. Yeah, batter and steps so, out of the box, does the gloves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pedro Baez, I'm I'm sorry, Pedro, but uh, but you got to adjust now because it's a very different game. That's great. John, great stuff. We appreciate it. Have a great week, great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. All the best, guys. It's a great time of year, and, and, and Dave, I will uh, take your take your uh, your thoughts and analysis under advisement, my friend. I'll keep you posted. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. All the best, guys. Thanks, Thank John. You. There you go, John Morosi. It's going to go in the garbage can is where it's going. Oh, I just hearing him just seemed a little – so wait, are you being serious? Yeah. Huh. I, I don't know that I've heard. He just sounded a little befuddled, and then that line was classic. I should get a point for uh, stumping him or befuddling him. Yeah, that, that line was classic, though. I don't, I don't think I've ever left a stadium and heard somebody say, I really enjoyed it, but I wish – 
I had more waiting. More waiting. <laughs> I need more waiting. All right. If you tuned in in the middle of that, you missed any of that conversation with John Morosi, it will be available on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Coming up, one potential free agent target is off the board for the Seahawks. We'll get into what that means for the team next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Once again, our thanks to John Morosi, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you missed that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. And I would definitely recommend checking out that conversation. A couple of firsts for John. We've been talking to him for quite a while now. I've never heard him sound like stumped or just kind of like, wait, what are you talking about? Uh, you're being serious with me right now? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> you, you really are. Yes, twice. <laughs> he's, he's just, he, he was like, ah, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then his line about waiting. I've never heard a, a person walk out of a stadium and say, wow, I wish I wish that would that game would have included more waiting. <laughs> Included more waiting. <laughs> wow. So, when you wow. put it like that, oh. then it, he totally ruined the whole thing. Oh, it was so by putting good. it that way. That was, um. that was, he was so good. That was great stuff. So if you missed it, go to the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. It'll be right there for you. All right. We got the combine is happening right now. Free agency is coming up in two weeks, Dave, two weeks until it's official. Um, Really? One guy that we were wow. sort of targeting, we were, I'm, I'm sure the Seahawks would love to have him, but, you know, we were sort of daydreaming about the idea that maybe maybe the commanders, being the dysfunctional poo-poo organization that they are, are going to screw this up and let Deron Payne go. Well, they slapped the franchise tag on him, which is 18, just under $19 million, $18.937 million. You realize when I started this show 12 years ago, uh, it it was. I remember that D lineman. I think it was eight point five or nine. Wow. I, I think it's doubled. It's doubled, man. It, incredible. So yeah, they they slapped the the franchise tag there. And do you think there was any chance if he were if they didn't do that that John and Pete would be making a play for him, or do you think that's not really? I don't know. You, do you remember at when they got Cliff Averill and and Michael Bennett? Yeah, were those two like front line? No, those weren't big guys. deals. I remember they were not considered in the way of money. Those weren't big deals. Yeah, I, Cliff a little bit more, I think, because he had perhaps. But I just remember both being seeming reasonable at the time financially. Not like wow, they are really opening up the pocketbooks here. Right, and so yeah, I mean, I. So I guess a little bit surprising just based on what they've done in the past. Now, they have made some big, splashy moves. I mean, Jimmy Graham, oh, without Percy question. Harvin, you know. Yeah, Jamal Adams. Jamal, yeah, certainly. So Jadevian Clowney, Dwayne Brown. Yeah, they've got a history. I'm not saying that they wouldn't do it based on their their history says they probably would. I'm just wondering if they felt like that's a guy we need. That's the guy that can help with what we're doing here. The 3-4, we've all talked about that you need more beef up front. You need that. That that kind of player, he just seemed to fit what it is they were missing. He seems like a younger, you know, an Al Woods type of player, maybe better certainly, but you know, younger in his prime, yeah. just seemed like man, this guy could be a perfect fit. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, still youthful. Yeah. Uh, so first round draft choice out of Alabama. Yeah. Cliff had like almost 40 sacks coming in. So he was a little bit more splashier play there. But um, <laughs> again, I like to tell the story every time where I was listening on our radio station and somebody was saying, yeah, I heard that Cliff Averill might be kind of a head case, a little bit of a problem. Yeah. You know, he's a, a malcontent. <laughs> like now that you know Cliff Averill. <laughs> I remember that was from a texter. I remember reading the text saying that. Yeah, I and was then, probably listening you read the text at the time. Yeah, and, you know, I thought, uh, yeah, for Cliff, I mean, first of all, anybody that's in da- Detroit at that time was a malcontent because yeah, they were one of the hell out of an there. 0-16 team. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that was just, it's always funny to me. But, yeah, I, I think that would have probably been more of a surprise. I mean, that's more of a, like, Javon Hargrave type of signing. That would have been a big deal. Yeah. A really big deal. So, yeah, I think you know maybe they're they're going to find somebody like Cliff and like you know Bennett that they're going to be able to get the most out of, and they're going to you know really you, th- you think about it, Uchenna Nwosu really was worth the money that they spent on him. His, what is he his getting? Stats. Like eight? eight? Yeah, I thought it was or? around eight or ten million. And yeah, I feel like he's he's done a pretty good pretty good job here. I mean, he he kind of got lost in the the depths of how bad the defense was playing at certain times. But um, but yeah, this is uh, he, he's he's worked out really well. So I'm wondering if you know maybe they can get get a guy kind of that that level. I'll take a guy that delivers the way that he did last year. That's not you know, Chenna was not a, a front front line guy. No, he was a guy that was looking for his opportunity. Had played behind other guys and yeah. and made the most of it. I mean, he wasn't same with Michael Jackson, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he. You know, I didn't love him in the very beginning. I thought he had a couple of rough moments, but overall, he was he was very solid. He was a very solid player, so I wouldn't certainly wouldn't mind if they brought him back. Uh, let's see, Nuosu signed a two-year, nineteen point oh five five million dollar deal with the Seahawks that included a nine point five million dollar signing bonus, ten point five guaranteed. So, a little under ten million a year for a two-year deal. Good player, which which feels like that's pretty in football dollars, kind of a bargain. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially delivering the way he did with the nine and a half sacks. And he has, I mean, I, I felt bad. I really wanted him to get to double digit sacks because I think he might have mentioned that to us. But yeah, he had actually 26 quarterback hits last year as well. So yeah, he was he was all over. So yeah, I guess Deron Payne. Yeah, we were we were looking at him thinking, OK, yeah, that's that makes sense. But, you know, he's just I guess it shows you I mean, maybe they would have if they hadn't franchise tagged him. But um, yeah, I wonder if what their what their parameters are. I know the one thing that that gets said a lot, and I, I think I've heard it from John, is that a lot of times they'll say you don't you don't build your Super Bowl winning team through free agency; it's through the draft. Yeah, yeah, and then two other names that are out there: Falcons release Marcus Mariota, who just. He's had moments throughout his career, but based on where he is a first round pick, this is a top of the top of the food chain guy at the time thought to be a f- future elite franchise quarterback just hasn't worked out that way. And he's been on a number of teams at this point. You wonder if he ends up with the 49ers. We, I told you I read that article last night that said that, you know, they're going to be looking for a veteran quarterback while they wait for Trey Lance and Brock Purdy to heal up. Now, maybe maybe Lance will be ready when it's it's game time. Who knows? But Maybe Mariota becomes that guy for a lot of teams. Like, all right, we need to fill a spot right now with somebody who we can trust just to not screw it up for us. He's almost 30 already. I mean, it, his career has seemingly flown by, but, yeah, it just didn't really work out being – he was the Heisman Trophy winner, was he not? Yeah. I think he so, did, yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Do you have his what, – what pick was he? Do you have that up in front second. of you? Second overall pick for your Titans. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know who the first one was. Your guy. My guy? Yeah. Who's that? Your quarterback. Jameis Winston. Who eats Winston. W's, who throws interceptions, who, who can't see. Who, yeah. Oh, Jameis Winston. Who eats W's. I should have gotten from that. <laughs> who can't see. No, he's got LASIK. He's so much better now when he's he holding the clipboard. He can throwing the interception to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. He's uh, just hasn't worked out the way many thought it would for Marcus, but he's still got a career and he's moving from team to team. So we'll see where he lands next. Meanwhile, is the franchise tag really an option for the Seahawks and Geno Smith? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. What was the last time the Seahawks used the franchise tag? We always do this. Was it a kicker? <laughs> Wasn't it? It was. It had to have been because otherwise it would have been memorable. Yeah, I feel like we, because in this, this is part of what, what makes this an interesting conversation. We're talking about... The idea of a franchise tag and the Seahawks and it being Frank a real Clark, right? Was that the most recent? Did they twenty nineteen? Prior to that, I think it was a kicker. Yeah, I mean, it's Frank just Clark not... twenty nineteen. I got to yeah, be honest with you, I don't remember recent. the Frank Clark one yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. I, I swear it was a kicker before that, and somebody will text in because it's just not uh, what they do. Yeah, it was uh, Orlando Mare. That's right. In two thousand ten. Before that was a Walter. Maybe. I mean, it's just not but, something this organization has really put into practice. But just as far for Pete and John, only the in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. They came in with uh, with Olindo Mare. Yeah. So what and the reason we're bringing it up, we were taking a look at all these different mock drafts and one of them was Mel Kuyper's and some of these mock drafts, they'll they'll do all these trade scenarios. Others, they're just doing it straight order as it sits right now. Um, and in Kuyper's. He, he had the Seahawks trading out of five, down to nine with the Carolina Panthers. And we spoke with the Panthers GM today, Scott Fitterer. That conversation will be available at seattlesports.com after the show. But in his scenario, had him trading down, putting the franchise tag on Geno, and then drafting Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Now, whether you like that or not, okay. But it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to, to consider that for, for two reasons. A, the Seahawks never do. It's just not part of what they do. I don't know if there's just a reluctance on their part financially. They don't like how it works with the cap because that just becomes a $32 million hit on the cap and it's all guaranteed rather than spreading it out. So maybe that's a big part of the reason they don't like doing that. I'm not sure. But the other part we talked about was potentially Geno finding it as a, as a very palatable solution because he while i understand wanting guaranteed money which it would be 32 he'd get more guaranteed money in that one franchise tag year than his whole career combined Mm -hmm. and if he plays anything close doesn't even have to match last year if he's just close to what he did last year he's going to be right back in that quarterback pool of free agents next year when the price tag goes up and joe burrow presumably is going to sign a massive deal that'll reset the market again and those quarterback numbers in terms of salary are going to go that much higher. And if he comes off that year, that removes the doubt from the question marks, I would say. I wouldn't even say doubt. Just the question marks that maybe the rest of the league has is, is this real? Is that a one-year thing? Is it Blake Bortles? Is it Joe Flacco? Or is this a guy who is just now this quarterback? And now we're comfortable. He's available again. We're going in on this guy because he can solidify that position for us for years to come. Yeah, it, it just feels like it could be. I understand risk of injury, you know, from his perspective, certainly. But, you know, if all things work out, I know it's a big if, but he's in a position to make even more money and have 
many, many more suitors than appear to be there right now. And I think he wouldn't be angry at them putting this franchise tag on him. Now, that's if he goes out on the open market and nobody wants to pay him more than 32.5. And now Gino's mad at the world, right? That's what you want. You want him to be mad at everybody else because it's not just the Seahawks, it's it's the entire NFL. And you know, maybe that's the way that uh, that some people think. You know, maybe uh, you know Scott Fitter talked to us today, liked everything about Gino, but you know he's not going to say anything that's going to going to tip it off. But maybe he does like Gino enough to trust what he did last year. I keep saying trust. Maybe that. I mean, that would probably be infuriating to Gino. But I gotta say, if you look at you know again, it's the franchise tag would solve a lot of problems. I think mm-hmm. if they if they're if he's not going to get something on the open market and the Seahawks aren't going to pay him what we think he he wants is you know something closer to forty than thirty or thirty five. This way, you know, he can't be mad at anybody, and he can, you know, prove it to the league. Okay, I'll do it twice. I'll go to the Pro Bowl two times. This time I'll go back and win the little target contest because he didn't do super well in that. But but he threw the ball great in that stupid flag football game. I mean, he, he throws the ball really consistently well. So, yeah, I understand that people don't uh, don't necessarily trust Gino, but this would be a good opportunity if it did play out that way. He gets franchise tag, like you said, makes more money than than ever, and then I'm going to go prove it to the NFL with a big old chip on my shoulder. Yeah, and I would I would guess if he's, you know, listen, it's personal for him. It's an evaluation of him, and it, yeah, is he really that good? It's very easy to take it that way, but I think if he's able to sort of remove himself and as much as he can and look from the outside, it, it I, I understand it. It makes sense. I don't look at it as disrespect. It'd be different if he was a guy who, you know, hey, this is his third year in the league and he's finally hitting a stride and there was this doubt about him. There's a long history prior to this year that tells a different story. I, I think it makes sense and he could explain it away like, hey, man, I wasn't even getting opportunity. So how how could I show you how good I was because I wasn't even able to get out on the field? Yeah. So I think there's a reason for it, but I I, I think the questions are fair. I think if he's being reasonable and looking at it from their perspective, he could understand it. Maybe he doesn't agree with it. He certainly believes, hey, man, I've always been this guy, and that's who I'm going to be moving forward, and I'm going to show you. But if he's you put the GM hat on him, he's having to make a financial decision like that. Do I give this guy $35, 40000000 million a year? I, I got to see it again. I got to mm-hmm. see because it's one year in ten. I, I got to see it one more time. I think I think it's reasonable. I don't take it as a sign of disrespect, and I certainly wouldn't take. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna guarantee you thirty two and a half million dollars next year. I wouldn't find that disrespectful. Yeah, I'm also wondering if that there, there's a lot of deep. If you do a deep dive on you know quarterback play and the plays called and things like that, that you know because we we talked about. Russ and and Pete and Pete kind of saving Russ from himself sometimes that you know he's a certain style of quarterback mm-hmm. you know and and maybe that's maybe that's the case with Gino maybe there are quarterback ca- uh, coaches out there that are like yeah he's good in this kind of system but what we want to do with our quarterback is this that and the other and Gino doesn't do those things well that could be part of it as well but because uh, I do trust a lot of the coaching that that Pete has uh, has done over the years and getting the most out of uh, out of players. So, you know, interesting one. We talked earlier about Michael Bennett. You know, he got cut here. Yeah. Went, went to Tampa Bay and was really, you know, he's a very unusual player. I remember at the time he was kind of like a this kid that I'm talking about from Cason, uh, the kid from Pittsburgh. He was yeah. kind of a smaller guy. 
And uh, he just was, I'm sorry, it's Cansey is his name, Kalija Cansey. But, yeah, he was just kind of a, a guy that they saw something in. And mm-hmm. he was fantastic here. I mean, remember Bennett, they'd line him up everywhere. Yeah. And he could line up inside and make plays. Yeah, he worked out, re- both him and Cliff, two yeah. tr- phenomenal pickups. Yeah. Uh, text coming in, 360, I am fully out on the franchise tag for Gino. I do not want to see them pay a penny more than $25 million a year for him next year. Well, I think it's going to cost more than that wherever he goes. I think, I don't know what he wants. I'm guessing he wants a lot more than twenty five a year, and the franchise tag seems like the easiest way, but it's just not what they do. I think I'd be surprised if they did it only because – it just doesn't seem to be a part of what they do. Yeah. So maybe they look. Maybe that's something we can ask John. Not so much. Are you going to give him the tag? But why is it you guys haven't used that over the? Is it because all of that salary becomes guaranteed and it screws the cap up? You can't spread it out or call it a bonus or, you know, it, maybe it's just too punitive. Especially in this case, that's the that's the biggest number you're going to have as a quarterback number. So. It's uh, it's an interesting thing. We'll see how it plays out with him, and we'll talk with John Schneider tomorrow. So maybe we can ask him about franchise tag usage when we speak with him. We'll catch up with a longtime Seahawks front office man and current Panthers GM Scott Fitterer. He's going to join us here with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.